Tonight we go to Thessalonians, please. Going through all the things the ministry is going through right now and some of our people, it is sort of providential that we are in Thessalonians. We finished with the 16th verse of the second chapter. Tonight we begin with the 17th. I would just like to set the order of these divisions for you. Chapter 2, 17 to 20, stands as one single entity in here, where the basic truth is absence from their beloved converts. And then chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, is the sending of Timothy. And that will be all the further that I will teach tonight. But the next division will be chapter 3, verse 6 to 13, the end of the chapter, which is the reaction to Timothy's report when he returns from Thessalonica. Chapter 2, verse 17 tonight. But we, brethren, the we includes Timothy and Silas, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Being taken from you is the word bereaved. It is to be orphaned. To be torn away. And this is really a tremendous statement to see the heart of a man of God like Paul, Timothy, Silas, that being taken away from you for a short time in presence, their bodily presence away from them, even for a short time, they felt like they were orphaned. They felt like they were torn away. You see, Eight or nine months before this record here in Thessalonians, Paul had not been in Thessalonica yet. This is the kind of heart that develops between men and women of God in a short period of time. Within eight to nine months, Paul and Silas and Timothy felt when they couldn't be with the people in Thessalonica like they were orphaned from them. Like they were just torn away from them. Not in heart. Not in heart though. Out of sight but not out of mind. That's right. Endeavored the more abundantly. Endeavored is with earnest haste. Or were diligent. Endeavored with an earnest haste. You know, when you are earnest about something, zealous about something, that's the essence of this word endeavored. Just with great diligence, with earnest haste. The more abundantly is more exceedingly, literally meaning with extreme eagerness, extremely eager. To see your face with great desire, with much longing desire, real heartfelt desire. You'll see the reason for this coming up after a bit in the word 
because of the persecution that had occurred in Thessalonica after Paul left. The persecution to the people, the deprogramming activity on the part of both Gentiles and Jews of the new converts in Thessalonica. That's why they felt like they were orphaned from them. Man, I want to be there. I want to help. That's why with an earnest haste, extremely eager, with much longing, gosh, I wish I was there or we were there. That was the whole verse. Wherefore, verse 18, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, which means I'd have been there all the time, but Satan hindered us. Wherefore is because we would have come unto you. Literally is we would fain have come because this is the verb that is spelled E-T-H-E-L-E-S-A-M-E-N. We would have come unto you is not strong enough to portray the inner depth. You see, you've already seen the heart in verse 17. The heart continues in verse 18 because this verb here means a desire on my part that arises out of emotion rather than just plain reason. You know, he could have had a reason to go back, but it's more than that. It's a heart thing. It's an emotion. That's why this verb is deeper than just the surface of we would have come unto you. We would fain have come unto you because it's a desire rising out of emotion. Man, I can just feel being there with you is the attitude. Once and again, once and again is not twice, but a continual desire. Even I, Paul, continually desire. But Satan hindered us. Hindered us is Satan cut into. It comes from the Greek usage of the word where the army goes in and they cut up the road. They tear up the road. That's the usage of this. Cut up the road. Satan cut up the road. He hindered us. Satan did something that made it impossible for them as much as his heart wanted to be there and he earnestly desired to be there while they were going through the persecution and the suffering. But Satan hindered them. This hindering of Satan, that's all I know about it. That's all I was able to work in my heart and mind out of it. There's just nothing in the word that tells me what. It specifically was. Whether it was just people, thorns in the flesh, or I don't know. just doesn't say. But somewhere along the line, the adversary cut up the road. Satan hindered us. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The for is what or who. For what? Who? Because of the rewards at the gathering. What is our hope? 
the return of Christ, but the rewards also that go with being a steadfast believer. Joy or crown or rejoicing. What is our hope? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? See the second question here. Ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ makes explicit what was implicit in that first one. Joy, crown, rejoicing of our Lord Jesus. The word Christ is not in the text. I wonder if the word Christ is in the Estrangilo Aramaic in verse 19. It's not in the critical Greek. Lord Jesus, same thing. Okay, also Estrangilo Aramaic. In the presence of our Lord Jesus. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth Jesus as what? The humiliated one as the Lord. And it's in his presence that we will be. Not as the Messiah to Israel. But as the Jesus who gave his life for us. That God could raise him and it could be Christ in us because of what Jesus did. The hope of glory. Fantastic thing. At his coming, Lord Jesus is used nine times in the Thessalonian epistles. The Lord Jesus Christ is used 14 times accurately in the Thessalonian epistles. This word coming now is its first usage. That's the word parousa. E-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. And I'm pretty sure you're all knowledgeable of its meaning. You should be. It literally means to be alongside of. This word parousa, this is its first usage. And here it speaks about in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his parousa. In his presence, we will be with him. We will be like him. Remember, Corinthians, for we shall see him as he is face to face. First, John says as he is. This is its first usage of this parousa. The next usage is 3.13. Then 4.15. 5.23. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1. Verse 8. And verse 9. You should underscore or you should circle. All these seven usages. It's sort of significant that these epistles or this epistle of first and second Thessalonians should have the usage of the word parousa seven times. Numerically, it's interesting for its completeness. It's perfect everything. Verse 20, for ye are our glory and what? Joy. Literally, you could say, indeed, it is really you who are our glory and our joy. 
in that question of verse 19, the first part, what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? And he says, indeed, it's really you who are our glory and our joy. Boy, you talk about the heart of a man of God with his people and how he knows that at the coming of the Lord, the Perusa, those people who stay in that household, who stand faithful, they are the glory and the joy in that gathering together. But they're also the glory and the joy now. You see, that's why it's so fantastic to have the love of God now among the brothers and the sisters in that household, that tenderness, that understanding, that forgiveness, because we got 40, 50, 60, 70 years to enjoy one another, but doesn't stop there. We got all eternity. Man, that's got to be a winning ball team. That's right. That's just terrific. Chapter 3. Wherefore. You read that word. You always ask yourself why for. The answer is because. A distinct consequence. Of the verses just preceding. Wherefore. When we could no longer forbear. We thought it good. To be left at Athens alone. <laughs> Literally, we are lonesome for you and I can't stand it. That's it. We could no longer forbear. Being no longer able to stand it. Why? Because of the lack of information about the Thessalonians living under the persecution that was occurring at Thessalonica. And it was this knowledge that there was a persecution going on that produced this suspense to the end. They just could not bear it any longer. Paul and Timothy and Silas, they just couldn't stand it. Then they had some planned action. We thought it good. We, Paul, Timothy and Silas made the decision together. In chapter 2, willing, that's the same word that here is translated, thought it good. We thought it good, well-pleasing. Not only well-pleasing to themselves, but also well-pleasing to God. That they decided to be back there with the people. See, what was really happening, as I see this thing developing, was that the critics in Thessalonica were saying, Look, that Paul was a good guy when he was here, Silas and Tim, but they haven't got the guts to come back when you people are suffering. You know, they're getting all the money. They're buying all that for them. They just don't want to come back. That was the criticism that was being laid on the apostles, those who were ministering. 
So they thought it was well-pleasing. They figured it all out to the end that it would be good that Paul be left at Athens alone. To be left is to be left behind. The word literally is to be abandoned. <laughs> Loneliness and sent, verse 2. Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. To send Timothy. Timothy was the most loyal, the most dedicated, the greatest person Paul had with him to send into a situation like Thessalonica. You wouldn't send the most unqualified believer. You'd send the best that you had into the toughest situation. And Thessalonica was difficult. So they agreed that Timothy, our brother, and secondly, minister of God. This is absolutely unique to prove what I've just said, that he sent the best. Because this is God's minister to the end of service. It is in the possessive case in the Greek text. And that tells me a minister of God who was diligent and hardworking. That's the usage. Diligent, diligent and hardworking. He didn't sleep in till 10 in the morning. Paul didn't send some lazy duffer over there. Paul sent a brother, a minister of God who was diligent and hardworking, and a fellow laborer, fellow laborer, same essence, diligent, hardworking, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, literally in the good news telling about Christ our Savior, or as Savior. To what end? To establish you. You see, conversion is not enough. Gosh, we got oodles of people in the United States born again, but no teaching, no establishing, no building of the depth of the word in them. That's why this word establish is fantastic, because it means to strengthen, to make firm, and finally, to make solid. Sending Timothy was a great feather in the hat of the Thessalonians. That Paul would send the best man he had to Thessalonica. He didn't send, as I said, his second best. He sent the best. The great feather in the hat of the Thessalonians to get God's best. The great feather in the hat spiritually of Timothy to have the privilege to do it. Works both ways. And to comfort you. See, establish and a what? Comfort. Comfort. It's in the strengthening, making firm when people become solid on the word. The natural consequence that is axiomatically involved in the solidarity is that it will bring you comfort. 
and to comfort you. What's Bollinger got on that word comfort? Exhort. Comfort is that type of thing that encourages you. Comfort encourages you. Concerning. Concerning is for the advantage and benefit. For the advantage and benefit of your believing. Pistis of your believing. Boy, is that a fantastic verse. Beautiful. Timothy, a brother. That's the family. The minister of God is that diligent, hard-working fellow laborers, the household. Because if you and I are fellow laborers together, we have to be in what? I could be your brother and not be your fellow what? Boy, you see that in that verse. You're just not born again of God's spirit to be in the family. You're born again of God's spirit to stay in the household, to be a fellow laborer. A hard-working, diligent man or woman of God. didn't see that either before, but it's there. Man, that's beautiful. You guys remember it tonight and afford to forget it. It's something. Verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. That no man, no one, no believer, be moved. Be moved means to be swayed, disturbed. It literally means back and forth, back and forth. That no one should be swaying back and forth. You know, I'll just listen to what they have to say. That's swaying what? No man sways back and forth to establish you, to comfort you for the advantage and benefit of your believing. And the reason for that being that no man, no one causes you to sway back and forth, disturb you like a reed in the wind. No man causes you to sway. I made a note here on this particular verse. Men not moved by threats are often swayed by the sincere, well-meaning, but misguided, intimate friends. Afflictions. In these afflictions. Be not moved by these afflictions is literally do not be swayed in the afflictions. Even while the afflictions are going on, you don't sway. For, and the word for gives the reason for the preceding statement. Yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For yourselves know that we are appointed here unto in this thing. And this is in these afflictions. We are appointed. We are set. We are destined. 
in Acts chapter 14 and in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the believing and that we must through much tribulation enter in the kingdom of God. Remember verse 21, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, and confirming the souls, encouraging, building them up, exhorting them to continue, stay right in that believing, in that household. Don't be swayed, because we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. The reason for it is because the kingdoms of this world belong to whom? And most of the people in those kingdoms belong to whom? Satan. Then. There is going to be a persecution. If you want it easy in this life, in some respects, you cannot stand with God and God's people. You have to stand with the masses of the ungodly or with the people born again who have no great knowledge of God's word accurately. Because the moment the moment you get on the integrity and accuracy of God's word, like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, they're not going to like it, and they're going to persecute. In Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, for the believers, that they may also obtain the wholeness which is in Christ Jesus with eternal what? Glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, verse 13, Yet he abideth what? He cannot deny himself. I can walk away from God, but God never walks away from me. I can walk out of the household, but God never walks his divine presence out of me, for he's given me eternal life. If I do not believe, God will still abide what? For that eternal life which he has given me is eternal life. Because he cannot, what? Deny himself. He cannot deny himself. In Peter, First Peter, chapter 4, Beloved, verse 12, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, verse 13, Insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached in the name of Christ, blessed are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is what? That's something we told you before in Thessalonians that we should suffer tribulation 
even as it came to pass, and ye know. The way translation, not the way, international translation, but Dr. Way's translation spells it the same way. He translates this as follows. To be afflicted or persecuted is our destiny. Can't stop. Well, what we stew it about? It isn't that we don't know there's going to be persecution and all this stuff, but what do we do with it? Do we succumb to it? Do we sway like a reed in the wind? Or do we stay in that household standing? For this cause, verse 5, or because of this, when I could no longer forbear, when I just couldn't stand it anymore, what couldn't he stand? To find out whether those believers under that persecution were still standing or whether they were leaving the household and saying, yeah, you know, shoot, I've been deprogrammed, but I still love the way ministry. I love the word. You see, I still stand for the Bible. You talk about Thessalonians being timely. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I sent who? Timothy, for what reason? To know your believing. Uh, to find out how are you doing. Does that word of God still have preeminence? Does that word stand? Is the integrity of the word still a part of your living? Because any man who has ever taught anybody God's word will be concerned about that individual standing in the body, with the body, in the household. Has to be. Thought about the father and his family. When the father really loves his children, and the children are in that family, but also they stay in the household. They don't fight against brother and sister and dad and mom and leave, have to leave the whole thing. That's like this verse. I sent to know you're believing. There's that family. And I thought of that today. Still standing as a household, and you know why? Because of the greatness of this word. That's why. For this cause, when I couldn't stand it any longer, I sent to know you're believing. Lest, here it is, by some means, some way, lest by some means, that slyness, usually through your best friends. What do you mean, best friends? They're lousy if they're off the word. Who is my brother, my sister? Come on. Who is my father? Who is my mother? They that do what? What it says, that's what it means. And God meant it from the beginning that the father was the head of the house with the mother training up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that that earthly father would be his father because he walked on God's word. And when a father or a mother or a brother or sister does not walk on God's word, they're only your physical family. They're not your spiritual household. 
You've got to make up your mind whether the word of God is right or your stupid feelings. If you're going to go by your feelings one place, then you go by them every place. Or do we go by the word? We won't deny his word, right? God doesn't deny it. Just have to make up your mind whether the word of God stands or whether it's not the truth. And people, if it isn't true at those points, then it's not true in John 3, 16. We're still in Thessalonians, and I'll finish out the fifth verse for you. Lest by some means the tempter, and I discussed that with you, the word have has to be scratched, tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Lest by some means the tempter tempted. This word tempted, I've been working this word, trying to get to a clearer understanding so that I could teach it better and share it better with our people. It's first usage on this word tempt. We know that God cannot be tempted, right? Okay, so here we're not talking about God. And I learned, and I worked this, that to tempt is to attempt. In other words, to tempt is to attempt. That's its first usage or meaning. Where if I would attempt to get you off of the word of God, that's the word tempt. To attempt to do something. Its second usage is. First to attempt to do something. Secondly. That this will put you to the test. And the last part. Our labor. Our work. That we put in. Sharing God's word with you. Be in vain. That's what he was concerned about that they just didn't teach him the greatness of God's word and now they were splitting out the persecution the bad things they were saying about Paul and they were saying some bad things about him that they were still standing on God's word so that their work would not have been in vain but they were their joy and Rejoicing their crown. The reason for all of this is because Paul understood the fierceness of the adversary's attacks, the enemy's attacks. And Paul understood the frailness of human nature. The adversary doesn't play games. And men many times continue to be very weak when you understand the fierceness of the enemy's attacks the frailness of human nature you get real concerned about people staying faithful and steadfast in that household because you know how the adversary will trick them to get them out of the household but you know kids I'm always thankful 
that under no condition can he get them out of the family. It's hard. You get hurt. You feel badly when they're not in the household. But there's always something in my heart that makes me thankful that it's eternal life and they'll never get out of the family. 